Well, we'll get started. It's uh, time. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it very much. Uh, some of you see me every week, and some of you are busy with us, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, today we're talking about why me God, and we are dealing with a subject that many people have to live with, and that is long-term suffering. Uh, today, this class, I know there are several classes on the schedule talking about suffering. This is a little bit different because I'm going to talk to those going through long-term suffering, but I'm also going to talk to caregivers, uh, those who care for those going through long-term suffering. Because I feel like that's a neglected area that does not get addressed uh, very much. And I know in my counseling practice, and because of my life and what I have gone through, I have experienced that in several different ways and facets. We'll get more into that later on. You probably heard the story about the guy that was walking through the graveyard, fell into a grave, and he tried and tried and couldn't get out until all of a sudden he heard a voice say, I'm trying to get out of here too, and he was motivated to get out when he did <laughs> When you are going through long-term suffering, that's how you feel. You feel like you are in a pit. And I'll use that reference several times today. And you're wondering if you're ever going to get out. I know for me, I can deal with those minor crises that come along in life that maybe last a day or a week or a month or even a year. But when it goes on for years of suffering and years of having to deal with it, that's when it gets difficult. And that's when the devil's able to work on me and the things that hurt me the most is during those periods when I'm trying to deal with the long-term issues. And we're going to talk about that. And there are a lot of different issues that deal with that. Uh, long-term illnesses. Um, I'll say often, uh, modern medicine is a blessing and a curse. Modern medicine has given us the ability to live longer. But they have not given us the ability to live well longer. And so because of that, there is people who go through long-term illnesses. And those who care for those in long-term illnesses. Those who go through age, you know, we age longer many times, but we don't always age well. And so we have these problems of having to deal with that over and over again. Other things would be uh, a, a child who is sick or ill, a child that has gone wayward. Uh, marriage problems, uh, feeling like you're alone, feeling like there is no one who cares about you. There are just so many different types of long-term suffering. C.S. Lewis wrote a long time ago, the problem of pain is atheism's most potent weapon. Pain is atheism's most potent weapon. You know, you go through our cities at night and you see lights and activity and everyone seems to be alive, but somewhere in that city, someone sits in darkness, someone feels deserted, someone feels that no one cares. And that's what we're talking about today. I want to first talk about, and there are several different books I'll be referencing during this session that talk about some of the lies that we believe when dealing with long-term suffering. <laughs> Got it off. Uh, some of the lies that we believe is that we have to always act like life is going well. Some call it the performance trap. It's this idea that I always have to act like 
life is going well. I can't ever let down. I can't ever share my problems. I've got to put on this face. You've heard the story. The biggest lie said in church is, how are you doing? And people say, fine. fine. You know, and that's, but that's only in church. That's everywhere. We say that over and over again. I'm fine. Everything's going fine. And maybe deep down inside, we are deeply hurting. Uh, we're caring for that person who, you know, we have had to love and care for over and over again, and it's still tough. We're in a marriage where we're still together, but we're not really married. It is hard, and we're suffering. There's just so many different ways when we say we're fine, we're not. Another lie that we have to overcome in suffering is I must be accepted by others. That in order for me to find worth, everybody's got to accept me and understand me. Another lie is the blame game. Well, there has to be, what did I do wrong to make this happen? I must have done something. God is punishing me. I hear that one over and over again in counseling. People will say to me, you know, what did I do? Why me, God? What did I do to what? Deserve this. And that's what we go through so many times in suffering, especially long-term suffering. We go, I must have done something really bad for God to do this to me. And that's a lie. And we'll talk more about that later on. You know, you do not have this problem because you did something bad. It is life. Life has ups and downs. And sometimes those downs are very deep, long valleys. The other trap is the shame game. I am hopeless. No one likes me and God hates me. Uh, I, I am just terrible and horrible because of what I'm going to. Uh, we have a tendency to also, when we're in long-term suffering, to look out at everybody else and think life, they, their life is so much better. You know, they, they, they've got it all. You know, when we're going through long-term financial problems, look what everybody else has. So I must, I, there must be something wrong with me when you don't know that they may have the same problems, they're just doing the I'm fine game. They're just faking it in some way. But we have that idea that there is something wrong with us. Uh, everybody else's marriage is perfect. Uh, uh, God lets them, they don't really have any struggles. And uh, if what that causes us to do is, well, if I just had a better husband or a better wife, if I just had this, and we you fill in the blank, if I just had... Whatever it is, we begin to believe that lie. And those lies play right into the hand of the devil who will do everything he can to try to destroy us. Um, when I'm counseling with those going through long-term suffering, I know there's been a lot of different books that have been used. I like the Psalms. And so I'm going to reference the Psalms a lot today. Uh, Psalm 73 <laughs> is one that I take people to often. And the first blank on your handout was lies. We need to overcome the lies uh, that we have in our life. What, and the lies we're telling to ourselves. The lies we are telling to ourselves. But Psalm 73 is one of those that I think shows human emotion. Uh, the writer is Asa, the, the uh, worship leader for David. And he's writing about his life. And he says, so why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I, this is in verse 13. Why have I kept my hands from doing wrong? I have suffered all day long. I have been punished every morning. God, if I decided to talk like this, I would have let your people down. I've tried to understand all this, but it was way too hard. 
He is saying it isn't worth it. I strive to live a pure and holy life, and yet all I have is pain, heartache, and confusion. And I'm sure all of us have felt that way at one time or another, haven't we? I've tried to do this, God. I've tried to live this way. And yet this is what the results are. And the writer says, that's the way I feel. God, this is not fair. And we'll deal with that more later on. You've probably heard about the, uh, the old story told about the missionary and his wife who were coming home from Africa. And on that same ship was Teddy Roosevelt, who was arriving back from a safari. And the, when they got to the dock in New York City, here was these hundreds and hundreds of people lining the shoreline to welcome Teddy Roosevelt back home. And the missionary and his wife had nobody to greet them for their years and years of service. And the husband turned to his wife and said, This is not fair. We have just served God. He's gone off killing animals. And look at all the people here to greet him. And there is nobody here for us. And she turned to her husband and said, But we're not home yet. Amen. And that's what you have to remember. We're not home yet. This life is not fair, but this is not our home. This is not the place we are looking to a better place. We are constantly looking there. Well, the next point, we need to use healing prayer. One of the things to deal with long-term suffering, and I've heard it talked about a lot this week as we've been dealing with the Holy Spirit, is the idea that we need to go to God in prayer through the Holy Spirit. And that's why I put on the handout there not only a healing prayer, but a cry to God. One of the things you're going to hear me say this morning, you know, in a lot of different ways, I think it's so important, God wants to hear our pain. And sometimes that is crying. And sometimes it's moaning. And sometimes it's yelling at God and saying, God, this is not fair. God, I don't deserve this. Why can't you change him? Why can't you change my child? Why, are, why am I got this illness and I think I get better and it comes back again? And you just fill in the blank. And you think, God, why, God? Why must I suffer like this? Psalms 142.5 says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. One of the things we need to do is grieve before the Lord. That's your next blank on there. One forty-two five Psalms one forty-two five. Um, we got to grieve before God. We sometimes think that God expects us and wants us to come to Him perfect. We've always got to come and, and, and you know, there's something wrong with me. I'm coming to God with my complaints. And I'm not advocating you always go to God with your complaints. There needs to be time for praise. We'll talk more about that later. But there are times when you are down in that pit. The only thing you can do is grieve. And that's okay. I tell people, God's got big shoulders. There is nothing you can say to God that God hasn't heard. God knows your pain. You need to grieve before God. I'm going to be honest with you. When you are going through long-term suffering, you get to the point where you feel like people don't want to hear it anymore. And you feel like you're sharing your problems, and they just are not wanting to hear it. 
and you think, can I, you know, I, I have got to talk about this. It's just building up inside of me, and it's going to explode. And there is one source you can go to who will always listen, and that's God. Because it is true. Our family, our friends, they love us, they care about us, but they get to the point where they don't know any more to say, and they get to the point where they begin to feel like you are complaining all the time. But you know that deep down inside, you're just hurting. You are just hurting, and you're stuck in this pit. You don't want to be in this pit, but whatever the suffering is, whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever it is that's overtaking your life, you can't get out of it, and God says it's okay to grieve before Him. To come and to lay your pain down. The Bible, John Ortberg says, the central promise in the Bible is not that I will forgive you. The most frequent promise given in the Bible is God saying, I will be with you. God tells us over and over again that he will be with us. We need to remember who God is. Even when he seems quiet, our response is to trust him. In spite of silence, understand that there is always something to learn. And I don't want to make it sound like this is some magic recipe. You cry before God, and you're going to walk away and feel like everything's good and well and everything's perfect. That, that's not true. What I'm saying is sometimes we just need to pour that pain out to God and let the pain go there and do it again and again and again. And God says, I am with you. Grief is hard, and there are sometimes grief is difficult. Uh, most of you have seen the stages of grief. And we go through these different stages. But the truth is, you don't go through the stages of grief. You go back and forth in the stages of grief. And when you're, you know, we think that it's the death of, a, of someone who we loved and cared about. And that is part of grief. But you grieve in divorce. You grieve in marital problems. You grieve in long-term suffering. Grief takes away in a lot of different places. And grief is not just death. We need to grieve before God and realize that the grieving process is something that we will go through and we go through in a lot of different ways. Now, when you're stuck in long-term suffering or you are a caregiver for someone who's in long-term suffering, you have a lot of emotions, true? Mm -hmm. Yes. And those emotions go up and down and up and down and you're, one day you're up and the next day you're down and you think, how am I going to deal with all this? <laughs> That brings us to point number three. We ought to process our emotions in a healthy way. There is unhealthy ways and there is healthy ways. Uh, what are some of the unhealthy ways that we can process our emotions? Acting out violence or something? Acting out violence would be one of those, yes. Covering them up with alcohol or drugs. Covering up with alcohol or drugs would be another one, yes. Ignoring them. Ignoring them is another one. We'll talk about that one in just a moment. What are some others? Can you think of any others? Rejecting God. Rejecting God. Walking away from God. Blaming God. This is God's fault. Uh, it's interesting that there is, they're doing this big study, you know, the nuns, those who walked away from God. There's about 13% of those who walk away from God do so because they feel like life is not fair. Not the biggest group. The biggest group is worldliness. But 13% do walk away because they feel like life is not fair, that something's been hard. And it beats them up. So, uh, I'm going to talk to the caregivers who are here for a moment. And for those who are listening, one of your things to do as a caregiver is to help.
the person and yourself process your emotions in a healthy way. Um, when that person is angry or upset, don't let them get into a, rel uh, a realm where they just beat themselves up and destroy themselves. Help them to process. Now, how do you do that? Well, there's, let me give you a few things. One would be uh, help them find safe places where they can do so. Help them find safe places where they can work through their human emotions. Uh, give them permission to talk to you and to deal with their emotions. Um, now, you cannot, to those of you who are caregivers, you cannot be the only one doing that, though. Uh, having been a long-term caregiver more than once in my life, it's exhausting. And because I've been there, I've counseled a lot of people who are in that way, and you've got to take care of yourself. You cannot be the only person doing that. And so one of your responsibilities as a caregiver is not to think you've got to carry the whole load yourself. Help the person who's going through the suffering to find somebody else. Professional help, whatever it is, but don't think that you're the only person who can do that. But tell them it's okay to deal with their emotions. Prayer, as we talked about earlier, is another healthy way to deal with it. Uh, for those who are able, I say write out uh, their feelings, their emotions, and things of that nature. Yes? I just was wondering if you had any um, hints or tips for uh, someone who's suffering with Alzheimer's. Because a lot of the reasoned out alternatives don't necessarily work because it's too complex. It is. And uh, we, we have been there as, as caregivers for our parents and other people. It, it, that is, it's a very tough situation because sometimes they'll repeat the same stuff that you've just dealt with them. You as the caregiver really need to be taking good care of yourself. Because the, the good and the bad thing about Alzheimer's is they don't remember they dealt with it before. And they're going to deal with it again, but it's really hard on the caregiver. And for that reason, you've got to find somebody who you can go talk to, who you have a safe place to say. It's really not angry at the person that's Alzheimer's, but you sometimes feel angry. And so you go and find a, self, a safe person who you can talk to about that and take a lot of breaks, because you're going to need a lot of breaks. It's a very exhausting, caregiving process. Very exhausting. Who else? Um, we're, we're going to talk a lot about life not being fair. I try to, in my counseling practice, uh, I have a sheet I give to those that are dealing with these type of things, and I have a list on there of, of some healthy emotions, rational versus irrational thinking. Let me give you a few of those. Life is not fair. Life is what we make of it. You know these, but I'm going to go through them real quickly. Life is a choice. You either be a victim or a victor. You be either a victim or a victor. Remember that most problems will get better over Time. I'm going to come back to that one in just a moment. Worry is a joy robber. It rarely changes anything. We all have difficult people in our lives. And hate, anger, and bitterness will eat you up inside. You have to decide to forgive or difficult people will rob you of your happiness. F.B. Myers said, Unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God, but faith puts God between us and in our circumstances. Um, most problems resolve themselves over time, but not always. One of the most difficult situations that I have ever worked with was several years ago, I have her permission to share this story. Some of you know who she is, and so I've, I asked her permission. She was uh, 
baseball player, 11 years old, doing awesome in life, and life was going very well. And I got a call to meet her and her parents at the hospital, and because uh, she had run out of energy and was bleeding, and come to find out Sarah had a very rare blood disease. Sarah and her parents spent a lot of time with me over the next few years, and as I was trying to talk to this 11-year-old, eventually become 12, 13, she just had a birthday yesterday, uh, and now she is a young lady, an adult, still dealing with the same blood disease. Um, now, what did you say to a 12-year-old? You're not going to be able to play baseball anymore because if you slide, you may bleed and you would bleed again. <coughs> life is not going to be fair. You're going to spend a lot of your life in major hospitals around the world going through treatments that are almost worse than the disease that you have. And I was trying to say, you know, sometimes we just have to look to the future, to the light, to the future. I had no idea when she was 11 that at 21 she'd still be dealing with this disease. Her parents didn't know that. But sometimes it just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. What do you say? Well, time, things are going to get better with time. Well, heaven is a better place. An 11-year-old does not understand that, and that is not what her parents needed to hear at that moment. So what do you say to someone when it's a long-term issue and you're going through and you're going through it and you're going through it? And basically, what Sarah and I came to understand is you just enjoy what life gives you, the good times when you have them. And be thankful for those. Now, she's 21, 22. Life's still not fair. <laughs> not fair at all. But she's learned to enjoy when the good days are there. And that's what long-term suffering is. Long-term suffering is having to go through those days, day in, day out, and you learn to take and to say, I'm going to be a victory, a victor here, not a victim. Another psalm that I use a lot in this is Psalms 34. The psalm writes in verse 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise is always on my lips. My whole being praises the Lord. The poor will hear and be glad. Glorify the Lord with me and let us praise his names. Long time ago when I was working at the Highland Church uh, with Lynn Anderson, I went with him to visit one of the elders' wives who was uh, suffering with cancer. This first time I came across this saying, you've heard it, it's been used a lot now in books and other places. But we were talking to this elder's wife who was would eventually pass away a few months later. And basically what she had been told from the doctors was the cancer was not going to get better, that this is what she had. And she said to Lynn and I, she said, you know, sometimes God calms the storm and sometimes he calms his child. And that is true. Sometimes he calms the storm, but sometimes he calms the heart of the child. And when you're going through long-term suffering, there's not always a guarantee. You know, we're thinking, God, I just want you to come in and calm the storm. And God says, no, the storm is not going to go away, but if you'll trust me, I will calm you. I will give you what you need to go through it. Psalms 34, 4 says, I asked the Lord for help, and he answered me. He saved me from what I Fear. One of the emotions that we go through in long-term suffering is fear. 
We try to deny our feelings of fear. We try to keep them from ourselves. And God says, no, you need to depend upon me. Because it is fearful to go through long-term suffering. You don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know if he's going to take away the storm or not. And you don't know when it's going to be taken away, if he will calm it, if it will be calmed in this life or in the next. And God says, come to me. Psalms 34, 5. Those who go to him for help are happy, and they will never be disgraced. The poor man called, and the Lord heard him, <coughs> excuse me, and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord camps around those who fear God and saves him. Really, the only person we need to fear is a reverent fear for God. I love the story of a little girl who ran into her mommy and daddy's room. There's a thunder and lightning storm outside, and she's yelling and screaming, and she does this on a regular basis, and her mommy says, you just need to go back to bed. Daddy and I need to get some sleep. Daddy and I are in this bed. And so go back to your room. There's not room for all three of us. I'm sure you've all been there at some point when the kids all pile in and it's not real comfortable <laughs> to sleep. And she's been doing this on a regular basis. And the mommy says to the little girl, you know, Daddy and I need to be in here. You need to go into your room. And the little girl looks at her and says, well, Daddy, just being a big sissy, make him go in the other room. <laughs> um, the truth is we all have fears. We all have fears. And we need to realize that we need to put our faith and trust in God. When you are feeling afraid, it is time for us to realize that we must confess that we are relying on ourselves. One of the things that long-term suffering breaks down, and it is not easy in our culture, is this idea that I can fix it myself. And long-term suffering will tell you that's not possible. And that's hard. Because we think, it. if it's our loved one that's suffering, we think we can fix it. If it's our marriage that's going through bad times, we think we can fix it. Uh, if I can just figure out how I can do what? Fix it. And when you go through long-term suffering, it's going to tell you, you can't always fix it. That there are things that happen. Your loved one has Alzheimer's. You want to fix it, but you can't. You know they're not the person who they once were. They wouldn't like to be the person who they are now, but you can't fix it. Your child is suffering. I think that is one of the hardest ones that I deal with is when I go to the hospitals and it's a child that is suffering and that you can just see the parents hearts breaking and they want to fix it and you can't long-term suffering teaches us we cannot rely on ourselves we can only rely on God reading on Psalms 34 the Lord sees the good people and listens to their prayer but the Lord is against those who do evil he makes the world forget them the Lord hears good people when they cry out to him and he saves them from the troubles the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those whose spirits, and this is why I picked this verse, whose spirits have been crushed. When you're going through long-term suffering, you feel brokenhearted, and you feel crushed. Long-term suffering is not only a pit, it is a dark valley. And it is a dark valley that seems to go on and it can make you feel depressed, isolated, frustrated. And you look at other people and you think, man, life is turning out so well for them. And God reminds us, 
you just really don't know what's going on in their life, but I walk with you. Bill Gaither wrote a song, great song a long time ago called Through It All, and it goes like this. I thank God for the mountains. I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for all He's brought me through. For if I never had a problem, if I never had a worry, if I never know what faith in God could do, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, we learn to trust in God. Through those deep, deep valleys. And I'm thankful for the topic of this week of the Holy Spirit because I think, and we'll talk more about this a little bit later on, one of the things that I don't think we trust enough into in those deep valleys is the Holy Spirit. And when you're going through one of those deep valleys, you have got to trust in the Holy Spirit. You've got to trust in God. Um, one of the places is prayer. What is it that helps us say the words that we need to say to God that we can't? Prayer. It's the Holy Spirit, is it not? When you're going through those valleys of long-term suffering, you get to the point where you feel like you are what? Prayed? I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I don't feel like I can pray anymore. And that's where the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is there to express those things that we can't say anymore. Because sometimes you just feel prayed out. I have prayed this, and I have prayed this, and I can't do it anymore. The Holy Spirit also empowers us and enables us. It gives us confidence to do God's will. Point number four, remember God understands our pain. Remember God understands our pain. It is okay to question God. In addition to the Psalms, one of the passages I use a lot with people going through long-term suffering is the book of Job, of course. And Job talks about, and I remind people, you know, we look at Job and we think, man, that was terrible and horrible. But do you remember why the devil wanted to test Job? Was it because Job had done something bad? No. It was because he was a righteous person. And so all these terrible and horrible things happen to him. And, and he, Job's going, why me, God? And sometimes I wish God would have said, well, Job, because you are a really good person. <laughs> but he doesn't. That's not the answer that he gives Job. Job doesn't have the luxury we had to look back and to see that. He says, I'm God. But what I, what I really want us to look at in there, God never said to Job, Job, why did you ask me that? Why are you asking me that again, Job? When we're going through long-term suffering, we have to give ourselves permission to question God. And to say, God, this is not fair. I don't understand this. Why is this going on? It is okay to question God. And it is okay to yell at God and to scream at God. I don't recommend doing that with your family around. But it's okay to go into your bedroom. Uh, I'm kind of an unusual counselor. Uh, I believe the greatest counseling tool we have is called a pillow. You can yell and scream into your pillow and nobody else hears you. And nobody else gets hurt but God. And sometimes when we're going through those tough times, we got to go into our pillow and <coughs> yell and scream. Tony? I'm just wondering, what's the point of that, David? Is it just to relieve the tension? <clears throat> I might, might as well go yell at a tree. 
you can go yell anywhere, but the, why, yeah, why are you yelling at God? Because God is the one who has control. And what happens is, and this is this is what the next point I need to, when we bend up the, those emotions, when we keep them inside, they will cause depression, they will cause you to go into despair, and they will cause you to go down a hill that you don't want to go down. Yeah, I get that, but why yell at God? Because God, who's, who's in control? One of the things that long-term suffering helps you realize is you're not in control of God. Yeah. And so who else am I going to yell at? No, he has the power to stop it. I don't understand why he doesn't stop it. He has the power to stop it. I'm not going to tell someone, God couldn't stop this. Because sometimes he does. Sometimes he brings a healing. Sometimes he takes the person's life. There's a lot of different ways that God can stop the pain. But sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes it just goes on for years and years and years. That's what why this class is about. This is not about short-term, but long-term. And you're dealing with this over and over again. And you know there's only one source who has the power to fix this. Because you soon realize, if you're, let's say if you're dealing with a medical problem, God can't fix it. If you're dealing with a marriage problem, you can see a marriage counselor after a marriage counselor. But if your mate does not want to change their heart, it is not going to get better. I'll tell people coming from marriage counseling, I'm not a miracle worker. I can teach you the skills and the tools, but you still have to make the choice to use them. I can't fix your mate. I cannot make your mate do this. They have to want to. I can give them the skills and the tools, and I can make your marriage whole again, but it's got to be in their heart. And sometimes, you know, you're married to someone who basically, you know, we live in a society today that's very narcissistic. And one of the places that we're seeing in marriage counseling is in marriage right now. Where you've got one person who just basically says it's all about me. And you bring that person to marriage counseling, every marriage counselor will tell you it's one of the most difficult things to handle. Because they don't have empathy for the other person. They don't feel the other person's pain. They only feel their own. And so you can talk and talk and you're blue in the face. And I've had, uh, had, had clients just cry why can't you fix him? <laughs> and I want to go, I wish I could. But he doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to change. It's not always physical problems in this long-term suffering. Sometimes you're married to someone who doesn't believe in divorce, especially in the Christian realm. We don't believe in divorce, but we also don't sometimes you're married to someone who doesn't believe in what marriage is really about. And so you're still married to this person, and you begin to feel like you are stuck. You know, this is, I see a lot in Christian marriage counseling. People come in, I feel like I'm stuck. I married this person and you will not change. They get, I, I've had a client say, I just wish he committed adultery. And I'm thinking, no, you really don't. You really don't. But I understand you feel that way because you are just, that, that's what long-term suffering does to you. It drives you into these deep emotions and you feel like I can't ever get out of this. And that's when you pray to God and you say, God, Change him. But then I also have to say to him, but God doesn't take away our free will. Yes? Just back to Job. Um, he also, I, I kind of look at it these days as God was showing Satan. It wasn't just that Job was any righteous guy. Job was really blessed with riches and children and all that. And Satan's accusation was he only served you for the good things, you know, the goodies. And, um, and look at how down through the centuries. Now we all look at Job and how his faith stood and just think Satan and his angels saw, you know, God's way is better 
Mm -hmm. Same. And I think uh, Winona Ryder in one of her, I can only imagine, I think she sang that right before she did that on stage one time. Um, she said, God sees us when, it's like we're jars of clay and he sees us when we're cracked. Our light shines through when we're cracked. Mm -hmm. So it's like all this suffering that people go through, they can hang in there. They're showing the world or those around them how, they, how strong their faith is. Mm -hmm. It's not just that they're blessed and it's an easy life. And I think that is one of the central points. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. One of the central points is God wants us to use our pain to help others. And when we're in the pain, sometimes it's hard to do that. But that is a sign you're beginning to dig yourself out of the pit when you are able to go, I can use this pain. It's not all about me. I can use this pain. Yes. And like Paul, with the thorn of the flesh got then taken away. He prayed multiple times, and, and it was used, it was given to him to keep him humble, he said and that, uh, to show God's power and his weakness. And so I think a question that helps when we're suffering is to think, ask God, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through this suffering? What do you want me to learn through this suffering? How can I be more shaped into the image of Christ through this suffering? Mm -hmm. Because it's not gonna necessarily take the suffering away, but to refocus our brains to God, okay, what are you wanting from me with this suffering. I do think that's important. Uh, we, we may run out of time, but I've got more notes here than i got time for. Uh, I do believe God uses that to teach others. And I do believe that God, like you said, the thorn in the flesh will use that to help us. But one of my professors said to me in one of my classes a few years back, um, sometimes we, we're, we're waiting to figure out what is God trying to teach you. And God says, I go out and use it. Don't spend your time just sitting there going, okay, what was God trying to teach me? Go out and use it. Yeah. Go out and use it, and you may or may not figure it out. It may be on the other side of heaven that you will figure it out, but just go out and use your pain to help other people. God may have been trying to teach you humility, but maybe you're not at the point where you recognize that yet. But go out and use it. Yes? Um, you know, I have a little something, a little rock or something, and it Prayer is not always about changing others, it's about changing ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, change him, change her, change them. Sometimes we have to change our own attitude about things. And sometimes, uh, let's talk another long term suffering. That you have a wayward child, we'll call it. A child's out living in the world of drugs. And you have prayed and you have pr <coughs> prayed and prayed for child. You're thinking, why won't God change that person? Why won't I mean, who? Why wouldn't God want that? God does want that. God's heart is breaking over that. But God does not take away our free will. And if you've got a child that is out living a wild life, you just keep praying. And I know in our life and other people's lives, sometimes that prayer is answered in a year, sometimes in a decade, sometimes in decades. Don't ever quit praying. Don't ever quit believing. God will answer that prayer. It may not come when you think it will, but it will come. But it's still that person's freedom. Let me fill in some blanks real quick so we agree on out of time. Life is not fair. You all know that. But that is, you know, we all know it intellectually, but understanding it is difficult. You ask anybody on the street, is life fair? They will all say, no, no. it's not. But yet, how many of us, when we're going through suffering, will say, this is not fair? 
We know it intellectually, but to believe it in our hearts is a real struggle. And that's why we have to remember that over and over and over again. A psalm on that one, we don't have time to read a whole lot, but Psalm 73. So if you're ministering to people who are going through long-term suffering, the place that I would take them is Psalm 73. Uh, I think it's a great place for that. Psalm 73, 4 says, They are not suffering. They are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. The writer of the psalmist is saying, you know, look at this. Uh, I'm jealous, uh, he says in verse 1. Everything seems to be going great. And he's saying, no, you just don't see through the eyes of God. One of the things that I challenge people to do, and, and I want to talk about this before we lose our time here, is to look through the eyes of God as best we can. Um, to really look to see through God's perspective you know, God has an eternal perspective, not a short-term perspective. This, when we're going through long-term suffering, it's easy for us to believe it's all about now. But what I have found in my practice and in my own life is that I was able to deal with long-term suffering the best, and other people have, when they look through the eyes of faith and they look and they say, this life is just momentary. There is an eternal time that is so much longer. Uh, when we can get to that point where we see this life as just momentary, it will make life a whole lot better. I like the story of the 92-year-old woman who was uh, being taken to a rest home. And she, they walked in the rest home and she goes, this is the nicest lobby I've ever seen. They showed her the cafeteria. This is the nicest cafeteria. They took her to the room. They said, this is the nicest room I've ever seen. And finally, the nurses said, you know, we've had a lot of people come through here. Nobody's ever said this is the nicest place. Most people come in here kicking and screaming. And the petite little older lady said, I have learned it's all about your perspective. She had made the decision when she moved to that home, she was going to have a good perspective. It's all about your perspective. It is all about taking and putting your trust in God. Point number five is use your pain to help others. We've talked about that one a lot. Uh, use your pain to help other. The Bible always places the spotlight not on the why of suffering, but on the end result of suffering. Um, you know, you you make the choice whether or not you will use those trials to help others, or you will let, allow those trials to steal your joy. Uh, it is your choice to do so. Uh, many years ago, there was nine Pennsylvania coal miners who were trapped in a mine, and the water was rushing in. They finally were able to scramble up to a little higher ground, and they were fearful for their life. And finally, one of the coal miners said, you know, we just need to praise God that we're still alive. And they started singing, and then they started telling jokes. And about that time, they sent an air tube down. A little bit later on, they let them know that they were going to be rescued. Everything changed when they changed their perspective. And I think that is so much. Remember that God wants to move you from your pits to praise. Um, Psalms 41 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and He heard my cries. God hears our cries. We've got to use our pain to help others. And that's not always easy, but it is, has been my experience that is what starts to bring relief. When you get to that point that you can take your pain and help others with the same thing, uh, 
having been a caregiver more than once in my life for long term, uh, talking to other caregivers is a help. And sometimes just saying, hey, this is hard, and you encourage one another can be a big help. Talking to other parents that are going through a wayward child, talking to other people that are going through divorce, they understand the pain that you're going through, they understand it, but nobody else can. Use that to help others. Use it to uh, help those around you. It makes a, a major, major difference. Um, you know, uh, you've heard it said, but I think it's deserves repeating here. The one gift that none of us wants to ask God to give us is what? Patience. Because we know how he teaches it. Patience. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He just, the way he peach, teaches it is, you know, you go through troubles, hard times, over and over again. But really, the truth is, uh, this is a quote, patience serves as the best protection against the wrongs of life. Patience serves as the best protection against the wrongs of life. Um, if you put on more clothes as the cold increases, it will give you the power. So the same thing is true with patience. The more you put on patience the best that you are able to deal with the big wrongs in your life. Uh, patience. We just keep asking God for patience and doing that over and over again. Uh, trust in God. Trust in His that He will do that. Let me give you three little quick things here and then uh, we'll do point six and I'll take some more questions. Uh, number one, when you are going through long-term suffering, admit that you are in a pit. Admit that you are in a pit. Um, you can't be rescued unless you admit you're stuck. Cry out to God. Tell Him. Tell God, I'm in this pit. Tell God, I'm stuck and I can't get out. Um, Jesus died on the cross to rescue us, but what does He call us to do first? Repent. The same thing is true here. God calls upon us. If you want me to rescue you, you've got to admit you're stuck in a pit. Ask for help to get out of the pit. Number two, God wants to deliver you from the pit of whatever it is, your extreme grief, your lost dream, your broken family, and God will put a new song in your heart. The book of the Psalms says, just admit that you're in a pit and ask God. And third, wait on God to rescue you. Some people, though, don't know where the real wound is, and that's point number six. On you ask God to identify the wounds that need to be healed. Um, sometimes we're going through long-term suffering. We know we're hurting. We're just not sure what it is. Uh, we know I'm not handling this well. Uh, maybe you know, I, I, you know, people that are really stuck in depression. Do they know they're stuck in depression? Most of the time they don't. They know they feel bad, but they don't really know that's what it is. They can't identify it, can they? Um, I'll just say, I, I'm one who suffers from depression. Now, when I was younger, I didn't notice it. But now I notice it when it happens. And sometimes it lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts, which makes it worse until you finally see that light at the end of the tunnel and you finally get through it and sometimes it can be months, sometimes it's just a couple days or a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's the way depression is. And, and, and especially those who have long term suffering, that is one of the major pits that we fall into is depression. <coughs> depression is not a sin. Don't let anybody tell you what it is. It is not a sin. It is the result of all the things that you are going through. 
Now, I've had Christian speakers, and I've got some books in my library, where they will tell you the opposite. I do not agree with that. I believe that it's just like any other sickness, illness, and it is a result of sometimes going through long-term suffering. There's a lot of things that cause it, but one of the things that cause it is that. And it can, you can just be stuck in it, and you don't realize it, and you need to ask God to help me get out of the pit. It could be anger. Sometimes long-term suffering causes bitterness and rage and anger, and you find that you know someone just brushes against you, and you're all of a sudden angry, and you're going, why am I so mad? Well, it's because you, you're all this bent-up emotion. Again, why, we, why do we go to God express the word? Because if you keep all that emotion inside you, you're going to explode. And sometimes that's what long-term suffering does. It makes you feel like, I could just scream. And you don't know why you want to scream, but you know you want to scream. And you know if you do scream, you're going to hurt the people around you. So that's why you go to God. And you go there and you deal with it. But so we have to admit that. Ask the Holy Spirit to identify what your pain is. And He will do so. And He will do so. Um, and then, the last thing I want to say, and then we'll open up for some more questions here. God tells us the same answer He gave to Paul. His grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient to help us go through those things. Uh, the passage you quoted earlier... 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in witness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. We do not know for sure what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. Um, for many years, scholars said over and over again that it was his eyesight. But many years ago, I came across a study that I think is a possibility. I'm not saying it is. That his thorn in the flesh was his wife. Uh, in order to be a part of the Sanhedrin, he had to have been married. But now we know he's single. So what happened to her? And so it could have been that when he became a Christian, it was... Uh, it became a terrible, horrible marriage. And eventually she left him. That's a possibility. We don't know. But we know whatever it was, it was hard. It was tough. And it was something that was hindering, he felt, hindering his ministry. Not what God said, but he felt. And God's answer to him is, my grace is sufficient. A thorn in the flesh can be a lot of things. How many of you have ever got a thorn in your foot? <laughs> Every time you step down, it does what? It hurts. It hurts, doesn't it? And, and it goes deep. And every time you step in, it goes deeper, doesn't it? And you're trying to get that out. Sometimes you can get it out, and sometimes you can't. And, it, and you're hurting, and you're hurting. You're trying to get, get someplace where you can get it dug out, but every step you take hurts. That is what long-term suffering does. It is like a thorn in the flesh, and every time you walk, it hurts. And what it causes us to do is to wonder and to doubt God's love. And that long-term thorn will do that, uh, whether it's the cancer in the body, the sorrow in your heart, the child in rehab, the red ink on your ledger, the felony on your record, the craving for whiskey in the middle of the night, the tears in the middle of the night, the thorn in the flesh. Whatever it does, it will cause you to go, God just doesn't love me. 
And God says, yes, I do. My grace is sufficient. I will carry you through. The only way that we can overcome our wounds is to remember that there is a God who loves us. That great sermon last night from Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how much will he also along with us graciously give us all things? The God who emptied the tomb, the greatest miracle of all times, is the God who is there for you in the storms of your life. God will not let you fight this fight alone. He may not stop the waves of life, but he will help you to go through those waves of life. Okay, questions as we wrap up. Yes. So are you, are you familiar with emotional healing yes. and things like that? Emotional, uh, emotional healing prayer? Yes. Were you? What, role does that have, what role does that have in this? I, think, I, hear, I hear you talking about prayer, but what I hear is um, ask God to take you out of the pit. Pray for God to deliver, you know, to hold you. What, what role does emotional healing prayer have in this? I think when you pray to God and you pour your heart out to God and you ask God for healing, He will give it to you. And I think one of the ways He does that is through prayer and meditation. And I think it is meditating on His Word. One of the things that's very difficult if you're a caregiver, and this is why it's hard, but what we need to do is quiet times for meditation. If you are a caregiver for someone who's doing Alzheimer's, you can't leave them alone because you're afraid what they may do, so you don't ever feel like you get any time alone. And you, But you've got to have that time alone. You've got to have that time alone where you go because you've got to be fed and you ask God, God, help me identify what the emotional wound is that I'm dealing with and to heal that. So is, is there a process as I'm dealing with all that, to deal with my anger and my hurt. I mean, other than saying, you know, God, please take it from me. I mean, is there a, is, is there a way to actually let God do that? I think the Don't Holy you know? Spirit will do that in your life. That if you truly turn it over to God and allow the Spirit to come into you, God will bring about a healing. It does not necessarily happen. Do you have a way of walking people through that? That that's I think that is what you have to do. Sometimes you have to walk with another person and walk through with it together. Uh, it is prayer, meditation, study time over and over again, quiet time before God. Sometimes you have to ask God to identify the wound first. Then you go to God before Him over and over again in prayer. Bring in someone else, sometimes a professional, who will help you go through that, help you identify it. Because sometimes God's trying to give us the healing and we're putting up a barrier. And it takes another person to see what that barrier is. Yes? You mentioned the biblical meditation. My husband here is teaching a class on biblical meditation in this very classroom today at 315. Okay. <laughs> he also happens to be a psychologist, so maybe he's Yeah, come back. Yeah, yeah. Biblical meditation is a wonderful healing time. So come back at 315 for that. Yes. Um, I wanted to address what he was saying about emotional healing and especially when it comes to dealing with the anger. Um, and I, I read a book a long time ago that Max Payer wrote, and he made a point in one part of it about letting go of our problems. And it resonated with me when it comes to the negative emotions and dealing, especially with Alzheimer's, because I have this woman that raised me and loved me all my life, and now she scratches and bites and hits and cusses, and this is a woman who never ever cussed. And it, it's a lot of frustration which bubbles over into anger. And he painted this picture of, of his daughter when she was very young playing in one of those ball things that they have like Chuck E. Cheese. They have all the balls and his daughter walked out into the middle and she disappeared in the middle of the ball pit. 
and she was crying out for help, and he kept telling her, well, stand up, it's only Liz Dahl. And she couldn't stand up, and he went out there, he got permission, he walked out there, and he picked her up. And the reason she couldn't stand up is because her arms were full of all these balls, and she wouldn't let go of the balls. And he said, why didn't you let go of these are my balls? And it resonated with me because we hold on to our anger. It's almost like we use it as a shield, because if we're angry at that person, then they can't hurt us as much. And so something that I found that was very helpful in dealing with anger is that I imagine myself unpacking the backpack and, and, and the, they're not little plastic balls, they're stones. And I, I have to re I pray for God's strength to leave them at the cross so that I can walk away and allow myself to be vulnerable again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do, but I found that very helpful in dealing with the negative emotions coming from me. And, and anger is um, one of those emotions that we will put up to protect ourselves. And sometimes we don't realize that. If you find yourself very, very angry all, all the time, it means that you are feeling threatened from something and you're using anger to protect you. The problem is sometimes we use it at, at if we don't identify the wound, we're using it at other people, not at the real wound. And that's why you have to identify where the anger is coming from so that you can find the healing. I saw a hand back over here, Ray. I, uh, I guess maybe I'm a little unique, but I think life has been more than fair to me. And I'll soon be 85 years old. I, I didn't come to Christ until I was 48 years old. But I think God has been more than fair. One of the things I might know so we don't have time for it, one of the things I teach to is the counter blessings. You know, we sing that song, uh, I say often, we, we sing a thought, theology better than we live it. Uh, you know, we sing count your blessings, but we don't do it very often. Sometimes that. I also remind people, you don't want life to be fair. Because if life was fair, none of us would have the hope of heaven. So you really don't want life. God gives us mercy and grace. Thank goodness God is not fair. Or else none of us would make it to heaven. He sent his son to die on the cross. That was not fair. His son suffered and died. So praise God that life is not fair. But we may wish it was. Yes. I was saying, this the young man, um, but he was talking about a, a prescription. You know, we have, um, I go back to celebrate recovery. I don't know how many of you have us in your churches, but they, they, they meet, and, and it's, they talk about finding the root of what is bothering you. And, and they, I know they have 12 steps, and it's not always for alcoholism and addiction. Sometimes it is for anger, finding, going back and, 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 and discovering where it's coming from, whatever is bothering you. But it's a process. And that's why I think we, one of the reasons we cry out to God is helping us identify the wound, but also don't be afraid to get professional help to help you do that. And being with others that are maybe, like you said, going through the same thing you're going through. And you can help somebody else at some point. Thank you all very much for coming.